If you've been following the healthcare reform debate as closely as we have here at ReachMD, you may be suffering from a case of whiplash. There's so many proposals and just so little time to wade through all the back and forth on them. So as Congress heads into its customary August recess, we'll try to take a step back here to examine the issues that will make or break the various proposals for overhauling our healthcare system. And for one perspective on the progress of healthcare reform, we welcome the president of the American Medical Association, Dr. James Rohack. Dr. Rohack, welcome back to ReachMD. It's great to be back, Michael. Let's start out with a question right away. The AMA recently expressed their support for a specific reform bill in the House of Representatives. That's H.R. 3200. But it appears Congress hasn't really settled on its final proposal for health care overhaul. So would you walk us through the AMA's thinking behind endorsing this bill yet, if it's so nebulous? Well, when the AMA decided that we wanted to focus on health system reform, it was after 20 years of debate in our House of Delegates. And we came to the June meeting recognizing we wanted to have four principles to follow any health system reform. First, that there needed to be freedom of choice for patients to be able to select whatever plan they wanted to met their needs and they'd be able to choose their physician. Second, we wanted freedom of choice for the physician to be able to practice in the environment they felt was best to take care of their patients. And then the third and fourth really wrapped together. We believe that there needs to be universal coverage in a pluralistic system, which a pluralistic system means that it's going to be an American system. It's not going to be some other nations that we will try and adapt to America, it's going to be an American system that we'll come up with. Okay. When you say an American system, are you specifically saying we don't want a national health care system like Britain or Canada? Absolutely. It's very clear our AMA policy over many years has recognized that if you have a single governmental system, that their concern as a government is on a budget. And a budget means that they're going to make decisions that may not be in the patient's best interest. We believe firmly that the physician-patient relationship, that is, a physician who's well-educated, interacting with a patient who comes to them for their expertise so that the patients are engaged in that decision is really what we need to have in America. Okay. Are any of these four points deal-breakers for you? What would make you pull out and say, that's it, we're not supporting this bill? Well, when we take a look at the reason we supported H.R. 3200, we said, okay, what's in there that's important? Well, first of all, we recognized that it eliminated the pre-existing exclusion problem that many of our patients who have health insurance, they're paying monthly premiums, but the insurance won't pay for their heart disease because they already had heart disease when they signed up. That doesn't make any sense at all. It also provided the choice through this new thing called a health insurance exchange, a way to allow patients easy transparency of saying, okay, what's out there, what do I need for my coverage, and what can I afford? It also did something that was important, which people sometimes forget. For the last eight years, we have been battling every other year, going up to Congress saying, you've got a flawed physician payment formula under Medicare and you need to fix it. And prior Congresses have basically kicked the can down the road. And it's time to recognize there's a 21% cut in physician payment. That's going to happen January 1st, 2010, and a 40% cut over the next six years. Congress doesn't do anything. So we know that that is untenable for our Medicare patients or those who are age 63, 64, 65. Oh, by the way, those are the leading edge of the baby boomers. So we need to change the system now. And so when we took a look at this House bill, 
There was many things in there that were very important, increased payment to primary care, but not taking it from specialists, increased loan repayment support for people to go into needed specialties, prevention and wellness initiatives to keep Americans healthy. So there's much in that bill, but as we said as we supported it, we knew that this was not the final bill. Okay, so what you were talking about is the SGR, the Sustainable Growth Rate. That is correct. How do we keep the provisions from eliminating that formula on the final bill without the bill being watered down? I mean, is this, this is a key issue, I think. Well, it is a key issue because of the simple fact that if Congress doesn't do anything, how many doctors are going to be able to continue to see Medicare patients when you've got a 21% cut in your payment and reimbursements going down all over the place? I mean, it's untenable. So when we decide as the American Medical Association, what are we going to support? This was the first step of a process. We still have a Senate that we have to deal with. Once the Senate input is finished, then there will be a House conference along with the Senate. If at the end of the day we find that whatever is going to be voted on doesn't meet those principles, then it's going to be very difficult for us to say to our patients, this bill is good for you and it's going to allow us to practice and take care of you. So I think there has been a lot of misperceptions that somehow the American Medical Association, by endorsing House Bill 3200, we just closed our books and decided not to work on this anymore. That's absolutely wrong. It's a wrong impression. We know that the bill, H.R. 3200, doesn't really address the unnecessary costs And those unnecessary costs, we all know as physicians, are the administrative burdens and the defensive medicines we all deal with. And that has to be part of the final solution. Yeah, we've heard some stuff that if you don't agree at this point, you've lost your place at the table. Is that what the AMA is telling us? This guarantees your place at the bargaining table? Well, we've recognized in the past that if one comes out and opposes everything and you don't have the ability to be in the room, and all you're doing is shouting outside the room, nothing may happen, and you're in gridlock, or you're in status quo. And if nothing comes out, as we mentioned, you still have millions of Americans that don't have health insurance. You still have a negative glide path of the number of businesses that continue to offer health benefits, small businesses saying, I can't afford it, larger businesses saying, you know, I'm not sure we're going to offer it next year, or creating programs that are so expensive, it's very difficult for them to deal with that. So what we want to do is say, look, it, we need to stop this crushing weight of medical liability and health insurance administration that's making it very difficult for doctors every day to try and provide the best care possible. We need to fix some things. This bill is the vehicle to be able to start the process to get it done. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMDXM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and we're talking with AMA President Dr. James Rohack. Let me change tact here. We're still not hearing hardly anything at all on tort reform, which is an issue critical to many physicians and the viability of our practices. Well, in the House, Energy and Commerce Committee is a amendment that the AMA is actively supporting to introduce medical liability reforms as part of the final H.R. 3200 that will be voted on. In the Senate, we'll continue to press the case that if you're going to make this thing affordable in the long run, you've got to reduce the unnecessary cost. And to President Obama's credit, when I spoke to him back in May, 
part of decreasing the cost curve. I explained that as physicians, we'll talk about reducing variation by following evidence-based guidelines through our physician consortium that the AMA convenes. But if you don't give us liability protection over not doing the extra test, we're going to keep doing it. And the president recognized at our House of Delegates in June, he said that defensive medicine is part of the cost. So we think that it's very important for a Democratic president to recognize defensive medicine is a cost driver. And as a result of that, now we've got to work on how do we get it done. The proposals that we've been pushing and that will be introduced within the amendment are things like health courts, like expert witness qualifications, like early administrative simplification and payment compensation. That's the I'm sorry legislation that says, I'm sorry this happened. Here's the things that we're going to do to make it better. And, you know, here's your compensation to make you whole. So clearly we want to make a system that's better. How to do that is one that we're going to have to work with Congress to make this happen. How about a system like Workman's Comp? It's just a done deal, and here's the prices if something happens. Well, that, again, is a model that has been looked at in other countries that you say, here's your compensation for an injury, and you make a flat rate across the United States. We want to say some things will work. How do we make sure that they'll work without destroying states that have very strong and meaningful medical liability? Because that's always the concerns of states like California, Texas now, saying, well, look, at if you're going to do something on the federal level, don't make it worse, because we think we've got something working pretty well right now. We've done a couple of interviews here in ReachMD, and there are some doctors out there that are concerned that the AMA isn't speaking on behalf of all physicians. It's been said the AMA represents a small number of us. How do you respond to this? The reality is our House of Delegates, which meets twice a year, that creates the AMA policy, is composed of every state and territory, as well as over 170 specialty societies, medical students, residents, fellows, young physicians, faculty of medical school, international medical graduates, women, minority physicians. So basically, it is the breadth of the American physician. And so if anyone belongs to one of those other organizations, they have voice into our system. The AMA member has an additional voice because they can speak up in the reference committees twice a year before that policy is voted on and created. So for those that say that, you know, gee, you don't represent me, my reality is, well, if you're a member of those associations, those associations are the ones that voted on the policy. Myself, as AMA president, I don't have a vote in the House of Delegates. Our board of trustees don't have votes in the House of Delegates, except for the speaker and the vice speaker. So when we look at the process, we're just trying to implement what the breadth of American medicine has said. This is what we believe we should have, pluralism, freedom of choice, freedom of practice, and universal coverage for everyone. All right. You know, it's been said, or comparing the legislative process is like making a sausage. You know, you have to grind everything up and you come out with a whole thing. How can the AMA help all of us physicians to understand the difficulties and nuances of making this, and especially tying together specialty societies and, and primary care doctors? There seems to be so many little pieces making up this legislation. How are you going to help us understand it? Well, we've learned... 
every time we try and communicate that every physician in the United States wants to be communicated somehow in a different way. Some people like an email communication, some people like letters, some like a personal phone call, some people want conference calls. So we're continuing to try and say, well, what's going to work for everybody to try and get the message out? When you look at anything of change, clearly people are scared if they don't know what's around the bend. And I think that there are enough recognitions that if we create a Medicaid system as the way to expand healthcare, no one's going to have access because if you've got a system that doesn't pay your costs to keep your office open, how the heck are you going to keep it open, let alone encouraging people to go into primary care where compensation levels are less? So we want to be able to fix the system. So we have patient-centered medical home. We pay the physicians for the care coordination that they do. Our communication back and forth is such that we need to keep our lines of communication open and be very cautious about the Internet because of the reality that sometimes the Internet can have emotions quickly responded to that may not reflect a thoughtful message. All right, let me hit you with another question here. The tax on health care, particularly the Cadillac insurance plans, which could be one thing on which both sides of the aisle can agree, but politicians may be hesitant to attach their names to it, fear of being labeled pro-tax. We still need other sources of revenue to pay for this bill, but is this a step in the right direction, and where does the AMA stand on this? Well, our AMA policy has always recognized that our current tax treatment of health insurance benefits is an unlevel playing field. The individual who purchases it on the open market gets no tax advantage at all. They have to use after-tax dollars, whereas the individual who gets it through their employer pays no tax on it at all. So the person who is making a salary of $300,000 and gets a $10,000 insurance policy, they don't pay any tax on that where normally they'd be paying at a 35% rate. The person who works and only makes $20,000, again, they don't pay a tax liability either, but if they did, it would be a much smaller amount. Again, very complex, but the reality is we want to level the playing field. We think the individual should be able to have the tax advantage of the employer if they purchase and own their own health insurance and that individuals ought to get subsidies inversely related to their income. Okay, we have just a couple seconds left. Is slowing down on this process a bad thing or a good thing? If it gets something that's finally passed, it's a good thing. If it results in gridlock and nothing happened, it's a bad thing. On that note, I want to thank our guest, AMA President Dr. James Rohack. We hope you'll come back and talk to us as this develops further. We'll look forward to seeing how this process plays out over the next few months. Thank you again, Dr. Rohack. Thank you, Michael, very much. This is Dr. Michael Greenberg for ReachMD 160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website, www.reachmd.com. You can download a podcast of this and other shows, and we thank you for listening. 